This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 169, very quick PSA, and that is that next week, a week from today, I will be recording episode 170, which is a questions answers podcast. So if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you want me to address something, if you feel like you want or need my perspective on it, you're always welcome to email me at matthew at castingacross.com, and I'll happily get back to you. But if it's something that you think the podcast world would appreciate, then definitely get it in in the next couple of days. I have a couple things that I want to talk about, some emails and some website comments that I think are worth exploring, but uh, hey, you can always get in there. So I do this independently. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. This is just the Matthew Show. It's not really the Matthew Show. It's the Casting Cross Fly Fishing Podcast, but I, I, I don't answer to anybody. Uh, I, I do what I want to do on the podcast. You might say, well, that's awfully evident, but what that means is that the format is a little bit fluid. As you know, sometimes I talk about technique, sometimes I talk about gear, sometimes I touch on things that are a little historical, sometimes I dig back into the catalog of the years that I've been writing for Casting Across, and I kind of re-explore a topic or an article. Today, I'm going to talk about what I've been doing. And now, again, that might not interest you in the sense that you don't want a, a, a blog or a podcast of, of my life uh, in a autobiographical format. But as always, you know, what am I doing? And maybe that's something that you can do. Or maybe you're like, you know what, I'm doing that, but I can do that in the way that he's doing it. Or maybe you can say he's doing it really dumb. I'm going to email him and tell him how he's doing it that's dumb, and maybe then I can do better. Um, but there's just a few things that I've been doing with, within and kind of alongside of fly fishing that I just wanted to share. And again, maybe give uh, give you guys some ideas as well as maybe spur you to think about how you're doing similar things in and around fly fishing. So the very first one, I know I've talked about this before, but I just can't stress it enough. 
look at your gear. Now, I'm recording this in February. You can always look at your gear. There's, I think I probably do more gear organization and maintenance in the middle of the season because I'm more cognizant of the fact that it needs to be done. But the problem with that is, is I feel like I'm busier. At least my brain kind of compartmentalizes my time and it says you're doing all this actual fishing. uh, So you can't spend time uh, taking care of your stuff. Um, Obviously with saltwater gear, I'm I'm always taking care of it. It's kind of almost verges on paranoia the way I take care of my saltwater gear. But this is the time to do it. These these dark, cold, long nights are the time to take your reels, and it's the time to snip off the the, the tippet up to the, the thick butt section. It's the time to unwind all of that line into a warm, not hot, soapy uh, sink or tub of water, and just let it sit for a little bit, and then run it through a cloth, run it through a chamois. Honestly, uh, I know that people make things like this, but for me, it's easier to just use something. Loon has a line care kit that is great. Uh, I I absolutely love it. It's two wooden blocks with a little bit of chamois material on it, Uh, and then they've got a couple of different dressings, dressings that don't build up on the line, that work on textured lines, that work on traditional lines, Um, and so... This is the time of year when I like to do that. It's therapeutic if I'm not out fishing because everything is frozen solid here in New England. It kind of gets me touching fishing stuff. So that's one of the things that I'm doing. There's there's all sorts of gear maintenance stuff. I mean, you clean your fly rods. That's fine. But, man, fly line, I, I can't say it enough. I feel like if I did a podcast a month on fly line, then that would be doing it justice. Keep your fly line in good shape. If you buy crummy fly line, then you're going to be in the business of buying new crummy fly line every year. But if you want the casting benefits that come with good fly line, then get good fly line because it's not that much more expensive than cheap fly line and take care of it. Just clean it off. Make sure that there's no kinks in there. Sometimes you'll find that as you are... um, as you're unspooling a line, uh, you, you might find that when uh, you, you bombed out a really long cast that something uh, doubled over or maybe the line didn't lay down right as I was respooling and there's a kink in it. Um, and that becomes a weak spot. If you have some temperature fluctuations and things like that, that can be a spot where that cracking begins to happen. Now, again, if it's really deep into your line, 60, 70 feet, then it's not going to be a huge deal. But what if one of the last times you went fishing, you had that happen somewhere on the head of your fly line or just uh, past the, the, the head of your fly line down into the the, um, main body of your fly line. That's not where you want to have a failure. So if I'm sounding dramatic about fly line maintenance, it's because it's important. Your casting is going to be radically improved if you have good clean fly line. So take care of it. And it's also a time to look at your reels. Um, sometimes we take for granted the fact that we have sealed reels with sealed drags and that they're bulletproof. Well, now's the time to look at it. Now's also the time to say, is are things spinning smoothly? Uh, both cast and machined reels can get out of whack. Is this the time to send it back to one of the manufacturers? Because if you notice that when you're on the stream in, say, April, you're probably going to have a much longer turnaround time than if you send it in in February and, and you'll be able to get it back. Now's the time to look at those things. And even if it is just a little bit out of whack, if you paid for a really nice reel that has a really nice warranty, then take advantage of it. Um, send it back and say, hey, can you square this off? Or maybe just, you know, maybe you need a new spool. And if that's a, a small fee to pay, then you're going to want that. Um, I have a reel that is slightly out of whack and it grinds and it just drives me absolutely nuts. And uh, I'm, I 
not going to take my advice. I'm going to try to fix it myself. But if that doesn't work, then I should send the thing back now as opposed to waiting until the season starts. And then I'll be without that reel uh, for, for who knows how long. So that's one of the first things I'm doing, taking care of my fly line. Second thing, and I talked about this last week in the the, um, the pivoting podcast, is uh, when you buy your license, read those guidebooks you would be surprised. Maybe not. Maybe you're like me and you like reading the guidebook. So what I mean by that is, you know, the fishing game department or whatever your, your local uh, state uh, agency is, when you buy a license in person, which I still do sometimes, because I usually get like Bass Pro Shop gift cards um, or Cabela's gift cards for, for Christmas. And so I like to go to Bass Pro or Cabela's and that's where, where I buy my fishing licenses. Um, you know, I, I it's not that I am like ethically opposed to, to buying other stuff there because I do buy other stuff there, but I'd like to get my fly gear from fly shops. So I use my Bass Pro and Cabela's gift cards at, to buy licenses at, at those places. And so when you buy one in person, you get that physical copy of the, the fisheries digest. Um, different states do better and different states do worse. Some of them combine their hunting and fishing into one. Um, but I always I like the physical copy a lot better than the digital copy because you can go through and really just quickly scan what's changed or what did I not realize what water body is being managed for wild trout near me and I didn't even know it was being managed for wild trout um, what is a new catch and release section what is a new access change um, there's a, there's a state I lived in for a while and because it was so heavily fished in certain areas. When landowners would have a whim and they would change things, it might appear in the in print or online with the um, the fish commission, but it might not. They might not have things posted, and so you would you would get these. Uh, you would say, "Well, I thought it was until the the, the route two bridge. Why is it now to the you know uh, uh, Main Street bridge?" And you look on online and you find out that that property's been closed or it's been opened up inversely, and so those are things to to look at. So. If you're buying your fishing licenses um, now because your state or the state that you fish in uh, does things on a January to December basis, which I'm not a fan of, uh, that used to be um, totally fine, but for some places where I I really don't fish in certain states in the wintertime, it would be much, much better if I could wait until I realize I'm going to go there and buy a year license in like August, and then I can fish through the, the summer into the fall. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So that's something else that I'm doing now as I'm buying licenses. I'm just checking things out, seeing what's new, seeing what's different, seeing what's open. Uh, it, it seems like a very unsophisticated way to figure out where you're going to fish. It seems very um, mundane. It seems like not the fly fishing thing to do. But I tell you what, guess where my taxes go? Guess where my license dollars go? They go to these state agencies. And so if they're putting in the work to give me something, it might not be everything, it might be be comprehensive, but they're giving me something, I'm going to take advantage of it and I'm going to read it and I'm going to see what's there for me and uh, make sure that I don't uh, end up on the wrong side of the fishing law. All right, the next thing, and I'll talk about here at the end of the podcast, an article I wrote about it. Get out and go to a fly fishing show. Get out and go to a fly fishing show. Now, I know some of you, maybe most of you, maybe part of you, I'm not sure, is a little bit hesitant about venturing out into large crowds. Um, okay, so that's the big caveat. I went to the New Jersey fly fishing show, as I mentioned last week, last week. I only spent about a day there because of an 
enormous snowstorm that blew in. I did not want to get stuck in Connecticut. Nothing against Connecticut, but the highway in Connecticut is not my idea of a great place to spend the day, especially when you are covered in snow. So I only got to spend one day in New Jersey. I plan on going to the Marlboro Show in Massachusetts. It's been rescheduled to April. Uh, and then there's some some local ones around. But I tell you, it, it was good. It felt safe. People that I know that are a little bit more sensitive than I am to, to COVID, um, they said that they, they felt safe. Um, there's some people I know that didn't go. But you know what? I feel like it was a great opportunity to kind of get back in the swing of things. It wasn't super crowded, but there was a good crowd uh, on Friday. So what are some of the things that I think you'll get out of it? Now, you can read the article on this, so I'm not going to retread everything. But one, there was new vendors. There was new uh, lodges, uh, gear companies, and, and other vendors that were at the show. After two years, I mean, everything's n- new in a sense, but at the same time, it, it didn't feel like a complete retread. Now, there was less, but there was new, and that was cool. But part of the, the great thing about that was because it wasn't crazy crowded, conversations seemed to go a lot smoother. Now, for a number of years, I worked with different folks at the show, worked in booths with people, and it just felt like it was sales pitch after sales pitch after sales pitch, which was great. That's very good for the businesses. But I was able to have more legitimate conversations with people that went to tangential areas that were still related to fly fishing, still related to their companies and why they were there. But uh, it was just very casual and, and it was very fun. So that's that's the second thing. Uh, thirdly, the the um, classes, the fly tying demos, all that stuff is in full force. That is going strong. There's nothing different about it, and that is really where you get so much of your value. If you go to a fly fishing uh, expo show and you just walk the floor, then if you spend you know fifteen dollars, you're maybe only getting five dollars worth. Uh, some of these these folks that, that do these things at fly shops or at TU clubs, you know, you're talking maybe a $10 ticket, maybe a $20 ticket, maybe you have to buy a meal, maybe you have to do this, that, or the other. If you're already spending 15 bucks to get into one of these shows, definitely take advantage if, of, of the free fly tying classes, of the free casting demos, of the cla- of the, the, the classes and the slideshows and things like that. Slideshow. I don't think they're really slideshows anymore, are they? Multimedia presentations. How about that? So definitely take care, advantage of that. Um, there was some just some great stuff. I mean, everything and anything that you can think of, um, from Tankara to Blue Water, from trout to 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 muskie, um, from from you know old tried and true techniques by some of the premier names in fly fishing to up and coming anglers talking about things that are a little bit um, you know more more niche. There's lots and lots that you can get out of some of these shows when it comes to classes. Personally, I, I had a, a lot of fun, but I also have a lot of content lined up from a lot of companies and organizations. And that's one of the reasons why I like going to the fly fishing show is to be able to find interesting people, interesting products, interesting stories to pass along. So even prior to recording this podcast, I interviewed somebody for a piece that's going to be coming out in the coming weeks. And I think it's going to be really, really good awesome products that I'm excited to share with with you all uh, on Casting Cross. But there's a lot of small shows out there, but you know, I, I, I'm most familiar with the Fly Fishing Show and all its stops around the country, and the the Brother Sister Show, the um, Virginia Fly Fishing Wine Festival, and the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Um, that I talked to the, the director of the Virginia Show, Bo Beasley, great guy, said that they had an excellent time which was cool because that show was the the first show of 2022 down in Virginia 
and uh, the first show since the only show in 2021, which was the Texas show. And so he said that the vendors had a great time down there, um, that, the, that even though the weather was nasty, they had, uh, they had some great times down there. And so that's just encouraging. It's a return to normalcy. I know everyone has different opinions about, about how COVID is being handled, but there's some very encouraging signs because I think that these events, although they are on the periphery of fly fishing, they are an important part of the culture and the community of fly fishing. So I went to one, plan on going to a couple more. I would encourage you to check one out if you if that is your thing. If it's not your thing, give it a shot. All right. Lastly, before I wrap up the podcast, I have been thinking about what is coming this year. So I mentioned briefly that Casting Across is going to have some great content from some folks that I am I met at fly fishing shows and am writing about them and what they do. So from a casting across perspective, that that's something that's coming up. And uh, kind of as, a, as an auxiliary note to what I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, if you have ideas, if you are somebody who works at a fly shop, if you are somebody who had a really good guide, who has a really good product, and you want me to explore that, then uh, definitely let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com. But I'm also thinking about my fishing. Uh, I'm at the stage in life where if I don't plan it, it doesn't happen. There's not a whole lot of spontaneity when it comes to uh, my my fishing and my hunting. It's got to go on the calendar. Uh, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's just the way it is. And so there's there's no reason to complain about it. So I like to take you know January, February and say, what are my priorities? So I'm planning on doing some traveling down to somewhere very warm in the next few months. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking there and thinking, okay, do I want to DIY it or do I want to get a guide? And so I'm running those things in my head. Um, is, is it worth uh, bringing all my stuff down for maybe one day of fishing or do I want to spend a little bit more money so that we can stay closer to the water and then I can get more fishing in? Or do I just spend the money, get a guide, and uh, maybe increase my chances of catching fish without having to bring all of my stuff down? So I'm, I'm kind of running that uh, in my head. And then, you know, even as far ahead as thinking about family vacations this summer, uh, am I able to parlay that into some fishing? That's not why we're going to go do what we're going to do. But is there a way that those things can come together? We've been talking about doing a Western trip for years and years. Is this the year that we get to do it? I'm not sure. We went to Colorado three years ago, I think, and we absolutely loved it. It caught some great cutthroat trout. Um, is that something that we want to try to do again this year uh, or maybe even go further west than Colorado? So those are the things that I'm looking at right now. And then there's also gear-related stuff. Um, honestly, right now, from a gear-related perspective, I'm waiting for duck hunting gear to go on sale. Uh, I was fishing, I was duck hunting in this weird uh, combination of deer hunting stuff and fly fishing stuff. And it worked okay. I don't think that I missed any ducks because of uh, of my my gear i think it was because of inex- being an inexperienced collar and an inexperienced shot but i got plenty of ducks so i'm not going to complain too much about that but uh, as some of these southern states duck seasons are are going out uh, i anticipate finding some some deals on some duck hunting specific gear so that's honestly like priority number one for me priority number two is a new saltwater rod um, I've got a couple of rods that are functional. They're fine. And so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say that, that I'm, I'm not in a great situation, but I'm looking for a great mid-priced saltwater rod. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I think that your casting really depends most on your fly line. And I have a couple of spools of just top-notch fly line downstairs that are waiting to, to go on, on a, on a new reel, but 
the rod is kind of the the last piece that I'm I'm have my eye on. So that's something I'm doing a little bit of passive research on um, and trying to figure out exactly what's going to be the best fit for me fishing the flats here in New England for for stripers and bluefish. What is going to be the best next new rod for me? So uh, some of that stuff is is fun because it just is a distraction. You know, not spending all of my time researching fishing uh, down in in, in the uh, the tropics and not spending all my time finding a, a new saltwater rod. Not thinking every day, what are we going to do? How are we going to you know spend time outdoors when it comes springtime? But those are things that that, that are on my mind and that are taking up a little bit of my time. And it's a good welcome distraction when there's like a foot and a half of snow um, here in New England with more to come, mind you, more to come. A couple other things. Uh, ice fishing. I I want to go back ice fishing. I used to f- ice fish a lot in Pennsylvania, and I went up and was looking at my gear up in, up in the attic thinking, everything I have is almost brand new because uh, I didn't use it a whole lot. I borrowed a lot of, of people's uh, gear back when I was fishing in Pennsylvania, so I bought a bunch of stuff, and then I moved up here, and the water freezes over, so I need to get out and do ice fishing. So all of that is just kind of what I've been doing, what I've been thinking about, how I've been taking care of my stuff, how I've been planning and fishing. Um, and I guess the, the last thing to say is just to, to get outside, to enjoy the, the seasonality that winter brings. It's different. It's not as fast. It's not as comfortable often. But you, you can experience so much in the winter that you can't in the other seasons. Uh, you know, you, you like to think that that um, our, our world was created to function uh, winter, spring, summer, fall. Uh, fish feed winter, spring, summer, fall. And uh, it just takes a different approach. And I think it makes you a more well-rounded angler if you're able to spend time outside, use your skills of observation, Try to, to reach deep into that toolbox and that fly box to find what you need to pursue fish, even in these these cold weather months. And so, but that takes effort. But I think anything worthwhile does take effort. So again, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. That's what I've been doing. That's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? Have you been doing similar things? Have you been doing radically different things? Have you been jetting all over the world, catching enormous fish in uh, remarkable places? Or have you been sitting uh, in your your lazy boy and and reading about fishing and watching NFL football? Uh, Those are both fine. Those are great. This is what I've been doing. How have you been doing things similarly? How have you been doing things differently? This week on castingacross.com. The first article was called Fly Fishing Shows in 2022? Question mark. And I go through a handful of things that I think are still, that's not the right way to say it, things that you are definitely going to get out of the show. You might say, ah, there's less vendors, there's going to be less people, but there's still so much benefit you can get out. And so I talked about a couple of those things earlier in the podcast, but there's more that you can find uh, in this article, Fly Fishing Shows in 2022? Question mark. Um, with some links on there too. And then uh, Wednesday's article is fun. It was called The Sunnabee Trout, A Char You'll Never Catch. The Sunnabee Trout, A Char You'll Never Catch. So I live in Massachusetts, uh, but I'm only about maybe three miles from the New Hampshire border. So I could be up to Lake Sunapee in probably an hour and a half. A lot of people are up there right now because there's a, a popular ski slope up there. Uh, but this Lake Sunapee was home to a fish called the sunapee trout. The sunapee trout is a subspecies of arctic char. So yes, we have arctic char in New England historically, and we still do. There's a number of places where you can find a subspecies of, of uh, aquatic char in, um, in, in New England. 
But this particular strain, and again, I might be using that word improperly, but a population that had certain characteristics was in Sunapee, Lake Sunapee and three other water bodies, Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire. And this fish gained a little bit of recognition after smelt were introduced into uh, Lake Sunapee, and they went from being small fish, 10 to 12 inches, to being 8 or 9 pounds. Um, I th- they think that people didn't really pay them much mind because they lived very deep, they didn't get very large, and they aren't super different from brook trout, which are also native to that um, to, to, to that lake. Beautiful fish, bright, fiery, yellow, golden belly, um, greenish back with not a lot of modeling like you would you would see on a, on a brook trout. Really, really cool fish, but you're never going to catch one with a couple of asterisks. And I explore that in that Wednesday article over on castingacross.com. This week's recommendation on the podcast is a knot tying tool. Knot tying tool, yeah. This one is great, especially if you have fine dexterity issues, if you're fishing in the wintertime and you have gloves on. or if you are in the business of fishing really teeny tiny flies and have eyesight issues, or if you just want to go faster, uh, and it's the tie right. You've seen it before, bright orange little guy, and it looks kind of like a pen, and it is a spring-loaded hook-holding device. It only costs a few bucks, but if you run into any of those issues that I mentioned a few seconds ago, then it is going to be a lifesaver. Uh, my boys have them, um, and uh, they use them because it just it, as they are figuring out how to tie knots, it's just one less thing for them to worry about. Do I anticipate that it's going to become a crutch for them? No, I think they're going to learn how to tie flies on like the rest of us. Um, but there are plenty of us that could use an extra hand, and the tie right is just a little spring-loaded device that holds on to your hook bend so that you can thread and tie knots easier. There's a lot more that uh, that goes into it and it's more features but uh, you can definitely check it out if you go to their website tyright.com ty hyphen rite.com i'll put a link in the show notes to this podcast page on castingcross.com but check it out especially if you're like putting stuff together for a new angler or if uh, you feel like you could use it there's no shame in it it's a great little product um, it's worth checking out thanks for listening to the casting cross fly fishing podcast please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on itunes Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.